Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 212. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT Podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by an amazing team member from Blueprint MCAT. This week, another amazing episode with Joya continuing our breakdown of bio biochem full length one from Blueprint MCAT. Go check them out, blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Joya, back with another MCAT podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm excited uh, because with the science passages, something that we don't get in the cars passages are sets of discretes. And mm-hmm. so uh, we just finished up passage three of BioBioChem, and now we are on to our first set of discretes. And just for, for clarification and, and remembering, um, is that the same kind of structure every student's going to get is for at least for BioBioChem is three passages and then one set of discretes and then some more passages, another set of discretes. Is that the same every time? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. it just keeps coming back. There's usually like two discrete groups yep. um, in the science passages in general. This is true for chem phys and psych social as well. Okay. You'll see that passage, a set of discretes. Um, and it's usually the same number of discretes as you would have in a passive question. So you usually see like three to four questions per passage. You'll see like three to four discretes per discrete chunk. Okay. And then for, uh, for lying to yourself, we, we do a lot of lying to ourselves yes. on, on this test. Um, we, we closed our eyes at the end of the, the passage for three seconds. So that one's done. Uh, we know what's coming up with a set of discretes. How do you approach the discretes differently than passages? Mm, so I thank the discretes for existing because it's a break <laughs> for me from the reading comprehension. And I kind of treat it the way that I treat running. You're going to be so bored of running metaphors. I'm a distance runner. Um, I run the New York Marathon every year. And it's a really obnoxious course because it has a lot of hills in it. So I treat um, the way that I run really differently when I'm on flat ground versus when I'm on a hill. And so for me in sciences, the hills are the reading comprehension passages because it (laughs) makes me, I have to know content. I have to read. I have to interpret a figure. I find the passages harder than discrete for myself. So I'm in hill running mode when I'm on a passage. And then when I get to discrete, I say, okay, the course is leveling out a little bit. It's just me and my brain. 
There's no trick in the passage. And like, you interpret, it's just me and my brain. We're going into like pure knowledge mode. We're going into pure recall. And I like fire up the rocket boosters. What? And I sit there thinking that like, okay, we're going to, we're going to take, we're going to take the tempo up a little bit. I feel stronger going into this because I know it's just me and my brain and there are fewer kind of pitfalls for me to stumble into where yeah. there are in reading comprehension for passages. What part of the MCAT is the downhill part of the course? Psych-Sosh. <laughs> All right. For I come you, into psych yeah. and I'm like, yeah, last two miles, <laughs> I got this. Yeah. Um, that's probably my favorite section because I find the passages also just kind of interesting and fun. I think people are so weird. People are so strange. Yeah. And so every time I read a psych passage, I'm like, huh, humanity is just a mess, isn't it? <laughs> and I, I feel engaged. So I'm yeah. thankful that that comes at the end. That's for me personally. Um, yeah. But I'm also a last mile runner. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the person who like gets a second wind in like the last two miles of the marathon and I feel super psyched. Yeah. So here I'm like, all right, we got a flat moment. We can kind of ease up on the reading comprehension, discerning, parsing things apart, brain content mode. Got it. We did this. We trained for this. All right. I like it. Let's see how we can uh, get into our um, kind of level running here today with our, our discrete section. So discrete question 14, the peptide bond that forms the backbone of proteins is especially stable because it a consists of a triple bond, which is significantly stronger and more stable. B is a carboxylic acid derivative. C would result in proteins that denatured easily if it were unstable. Or D exhibits resonance stabilization. I have no memory of peptide bonds. Um, triple bond sounds great because it's like, oh yeah, it's strong and stable. Uh, but, but I'm like, oh, that must be a trap answer because everyone's going to fall for that if we don't remember. Um and the it's it's interesting, right? Because this question potentially some of these answers potentially could be true, mm -hmm. but the question is saying they're stable because of this, right? Yeah. So a peptide bond may be it may have a carboxylic acid derivative. I don't know if that's true or not, but maybe mm -hmm. it's not stable because of that. So. This is a question that I hate because my brain goes crazy. I'm like, well, that seems right. And that seems right. But only one of them can be right. And I forget that it's it's asking for one specific part of a right answer. Yeah. So this one, I would actually start before I even looked at the answer options. I would refresh for myself. What is a peptide bond? And I would say, okay, I remember a peptide bond is an amide linkage between the amine group of one and the carboxylic acid group of another. So it's the C double O H on one end and the NH2 of the other. And I'm going to lose a molecule of water and I'm going to get a bond between my C and my N. That is my linkage. It's an amide linkage. That's a peptide bond. So then I'm going to go through. And in this case, if I were feeling like really fatigued or I were feeling nervous about my mental picture, I might draw this. I might actually draw it out just so I can see what it looks like. And so I know that I'm going to not have a triple bond. I know that right off the bat because I know specifically that my both my carbon and my nitrogen that are involved in the bond are bonded to two other things. And that's too many bonds. So there's no triple bond, no, no triple bond in an amide. So I cross out A for that reason. Maybe I remembered it just as a memory thing, but maybe I kind of went through and derived that answer from drawing it. Either way, too many bonds. That violates the octet rule for both carbon and nitrogen. I don't like it. So gone. Okay. Then I go to B. And this, exactly what you said, some of these are going to be true, but not answering this question. 
So there is a carboxylic acid involved in a peptide bond because that's mm. the carboxy terminus of my amino acid. That's my C double O H. But that doesn't make things stable. It makes them reactive, right? So I think back to my chemistry, I know acyl halides are super reactive. And so this is a true statement, but it does not answer this question. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Carboxylic acid derivative, not a marker of stability. It's a marker of reactivity. Yep. So I cross out B. I say, never mind. Okay. Going to C. Would it result in proteins that denature easily if it were unstable? Like it kind of, this is giving me the opposite of what I want. Yeah. The point that the question made is that peptide bonds, proteins are stable because peptide bonds are stable, not proteins are unstable because peptide bonds are unstable. So this <laughs> yeah. is just the opposite of everything. This yeah. is opposite day. I hate it. <laughs> Get rid of it. So process of elimination. I'm happy here. I say D great. But if I look at it and I say resonance stabilization, yeah, that makes sense. There's a lone pair on my nitrogen. There's a double bond on my carbonyl. Lots of places for electrons to move around. Resonance structures and having more than one of them typically indicates stability, right? We like resonance because it gives us a more stable compound. It gives us a more stable whatever. And so I know that resonance stabilization is a thing in and of itself. And then remembering what my peptide bond is, knowing I have a carbonyl carbon and a nitrogen with a lone pair, those are two very common contributors to resonance. So that all meshes together very nicely and tells me, yeah, it's D. I expect resonance stabilization, and I expect that to make the bond more stable. Got it. All right. Tricky, tricky. Tricky, tricky. All right. Question 15. All right. Drinking ocean water is ultimately fatal to a human because <laughs> A, which is very so, so cheerful, MCAT, um, <laughs> the water has a very low solute concentration relative to the body's cells, resulting in cell swelling and death. B, the kidneys must work very hard to excrete the excessive levels of bivalent ions in the ocean water, causing kidney failure. C, the water has a very high solute concentration relative to the body's cells, resulting in cell shrinkage and death. Or D, ocean water contains toxic levels of environmental pollutants that can damage organs or cause cancer, leading to death. It's D, fish pee. Too much fish pee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this this one... (sighs) I, I want to say it sounds too easy, um, right? It's just, it has lots of salt and more than what our bodies are used to. Mm-hmm. And so it has a very high uh, sol- solute concentration and our cells are going to shrink and die if we yeah. drink too much of it. It seems too easy, but I think that's the answer. Yeah, that's where I would go. Um, this is my like very, I feel like this takes me back to middle school where they gave us like potatoes and we put them in salt water and regular water and then we watch them swell up or shrink. This mm. is that hypertonic, hypotonic, isotonic solution question. It's saying what happens when you stick a cell in a solution that has way, way more solute than it does. Yeah. Um, ocean water is salty. Um, so that's where I would go. But for good measure, I would probably go through because I'm an anxious person. <laughs> I would say it's not a low solute concentration. That's the opposite. I cross out A. That would make water. The, the definition of what would happen is correct, but that's just not what ocean water is. Yep. So it's true that cell swelling and, and lysing could happen if I went into a very low solute concentration, but that's not salt water. Correct. So I cross out A. I hate A. Then I look at B. Um, kidney working hard sounds right, but then I get to bivalent ions. Mm-hmm. But in salt water, I have sodium and chloride, which are monovalent ions. Mm-hmm. So that was a that's a very like nitty gritty detail kind of wrong answer. C is the one that my eye went to. I said, that makes sense. I feel still very happy about that. And toxic levels of environmental pollutants. Um, that, that's, 
that's very specific to where you are in the ocean. Like, am I just chilling in a really nice part, a really well-kept area in Hawaii, or am I near Garbage Island? <laughs> so it didn't tell me that. Yeah. It just said drinking ocean water in general. Yeah. And so I'm going to go with C. Yeah. I feel confident about is C. This, is this during an algae bloom? We don't know. Right. Like, <laughs> did, I, did another... Are we filming a Dawn commercial where they have an oil spill and some little ducks getting scrubbed? Like there's too much variance yep. in pollution in different parts of the ocean. Yep. Got it. All right. Love it. Ooh, I love easy ones. All right. Question 16. In prokaryotes, genes can exist as operons that are transcribed mm-hmm. into polycystronic mRNA containing multiple genes in a single transcript. In eukaryotes, transcripts exist only as monocystronic mRNA containing a single gene. What fundamental genetic difference is responsible for this distinction? Ooh, all right. Ooh. So we gotta we gotta bring up our uh, genes and RNA and what that looks like and transcription and all that fun stuff. So yep. um, a mRNA is transported outside of the nucleus in eukaryotes. B, prokaryotic mRNA has the 5 GTP cap. Um, C, prokaryotic ribosomes differ from eukaryotic eukaryotic ribosomes. And D, in eukaryotes, each gene has its own transcription initiation site. Oh, Lord. Um, Yeah. 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 I, I know about mRNA outside of the nucleus just because of the, the uh, coronavirus vaccine. Yeah. Um, but is that different in prokaryotes versus eukaryotes? I don't remember. Um, and so that's interesting. It's hard. I, I don't remember any of this stuff. Yeah. So this is definitely like capitalizing on your knowledge of prokaryote versus eukaryotic difference, which I think is a, a great content place to review, be a really good opportunity for like compare contrast tables. That's how I memorized all this stuff was drawing it out. So I could see kind of on a one-to-one place, like for this topic, what's the difference for this topic? What's the difference? And the thing in my head that's really important is prokaryotes do not have organ or organelles that are membrane bound. Not, not a single one is there in a probe. So there's no nucleus. So there is no, mRNA being transported outside of the nucleus in eukaryote. But I don't think that has anything to do with the number of genes per transcript. That's just like a physiological difference. That's a locative difference. And I don't particularly think that's relevant. It's true. Like it's definitely true that mRNA leaves the nucleus in eukaryotes, but that has nothing to do with how the transcript is made or how many genes per transcript there are. So this is again, just like the last one where there's like a lot of stuff that's true, but is it answering the question? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So answer choice A doesn't answer the question. Does not. Um, answer choice B, I don't remember. It may answer the question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Let's keep going. You, yep, you let's keep going. Keep, keep, give your, give your expertise here. Uh, yeah, so prokaryotic M- mRNA does not have a cap. This is just factually inaccurate. Yep. Eukaryotes have the cap. Prokaryotes do not. They don't get that fun editing. They just kind of go. That's why bacteria mutate so quickly. Mm. And we see like viruses, bacteria, and all these kinds of things just transform just rapidly all the time. And we have to keep making new things for them because uh, they don't have that kind of editing. We have a lot more editing on eukaryotic mRNA. Yep. Okay. Keep going. All right. So prokaryotic ribosomes differ from eukaryotic ribosomes. So this is true. Uh, Again, we've just like uh, choice A. This is a true statement. 
Prokaryotes are that 70S ribosome. They have two subunits of 50S and 30S, respectively. Eukaryotes are 80S, and they have 60S and 40S, respectively. Um, But that, again, doesn't have anything to do with making mRNA. Ribosomes come later in the process. They're involved in the translation of a transcript, not the production of a transcript. So that's, again... Yeah, there's, there's, that's a true statement, but it does not answer the question. It doesn't give me anything that I need. Yep. But in choice D, eukaryotes, we have start and stop genes um, mm-hmm. on on our, our RNA, which um, apparently gives us that difference. Yeah, there is a transcription site, a place where it's supposed to start yep. for each individual gene. And that makes sense to us. Yeah. Oh, Lord. All right. Make sure you remember prokaryotes and eukaryotes and uh, oh, yeah. all that fun stuff. Okay. 17. All right. In miRNA-directed gene sl- silencing, a small RNA binds to an mRNA and directs degradation of the mRNA or prevents translation of the mRNA. Which of the following terms describes the process through which binding occurs? A, RNA polymerization. B, hybridization, C, elongation, or D, transcription. Oh, man. All right. More RNA fun stuff. Yep. So, miRNA directed gene slicing. RNA binds to mRNA directs degradation of the mRNA or prevents translation of the mRNA. Mm-hmm. Um, which of the following describes the process through which binding occurs? So, I don't remember this at all. Elongation and transcription just don't seem like the right answer. I don't know yeah, why. That's, um, you're totally right. Um, a hybridization is interesting. I'm like, well, what's hybrid about it? But it still seems very strange. Um, RNA polymerization sounds really cool. And like that does something different that blocks something. Yeah. So this is actually one of those questions where they actually didn't need to give us half of the question stem, right? All this stuff about directing degradation or preventing translation, that's completely irrelevant. All they're telling us is that there is a little RNA that binds to a bigger RNA. There's a binding between two strands of RNA, a little one, big one. And then whatever happens after is whatever happens after. Yep. But the real question is, what is it called when two strands of RNA bind together? And that's what we're really being asked. Yep. So you were exactly right. Your instinct to say elongation and transcription, boo, that was correct. So transcription is that process of turning DNA into RNA. Yep. It's not about two types of RNA coming together. So you were totally right on that. And then elongation is exactly what it sounds like, which is you make something longer. It's not, again, it's not about two things coming together. It's about one thing getting longer. So totally right. Knock them both out. D and C, we don't need them. Now you gravitated towards RNA polymerization, possibly because it had the word RNA in it, but it actually is very similar to elongation. So RNA polymerization is when nucleotides are strung together to make one single stranded RNA strand. So it's the thing that's happening during transcription. So the RNA strand is being polymerized. There's adding. That's what polymerization in general means is when you add little things together to form one thing. You add your monomers to form your polymer. And so that is, again, not about two complementary strands joining. It's just about the one strand getting made. So we come back to hybridization. Um, That sounds confusing because I think it makes us think of orbital hybridization. (laughs) Um, 
But in reality, what we're thinking about is when we get a hybrid of two strands. So it's not about what we think of in chemistry. It's what we think of when we have either a DNA and a DNA, an RNA and an RNA, or a DNA and an RNA. It's a hybrid molecule of two strands coming together. And so that's exactly what's happening. Yep, that makes sense. Um, Yeah. All right. So discrete, maybe for some, it's a, a relief for me this time, not a relief. And I just ran up a bigger hill. So, uh, that it happens. <laughs> that happens. Uh, what, what do you do again? I, I love talking about mindset here mm-hmm. and, and especially cause you like to talk about, it seems like is the, the discretes are usually a reprieve for students of like, okay, now it's just relying on content for the most part. And yeah, the questions, I still have to make sure I, I read it properly and, and read the questions properly. So there's still, still some reading comprehension and analysis part of it, but a lot of it is still, um, a lot of it's still just leaning on my foundation of, of science mm-hmm. knowledge. If I get kind of beat up in a discrete section when I'm supposed to kind of take a break during those, how do, how do I keep going? Like, I just want to stop and I'm, this is my time. Like if I can't even get the discrete questions, right, I should void my test. No, don't do it. <laughs> don't void. This is what, I have like such a like huge reaction when someone's like, I'm going to void. I'm like, don't void. <laughs> unless your computer crashed, unless like King Kong burst through the window and stole your computer while you were taking it, don't <laughs> void. Don't void because you are mad at yourself because you took a really hard test. I was mad at myself. I walked out. I was like, I got zero questions right. I'm going to go home and cry. And I did. I went home and cried. But I didn't void because I knew that my like emotional response to a really challenging test was not actually indicative of how I did on it. Let the score tell you how you did. Don't, don't void just because a discrete section went bad. Um, I think the, the trick there is just to tell another lie, which is that <laughs> if the discretes were hard, then the next, the next reading passage will actually be where I take my breather. Uh, but I call, it, I call it recovering on the run. So this is something that they, they tell you about that sounds like a myth, and then you start doing it in real life and you realize it's actually possible which is when the hill is so long that you can't see the top of it, don't look for the top. Look two feet in front of you and stop thinking about getting through the whole thing or making a really good score, any of that, and just one foot in front of the other. And that's what you do. I got beat up on a discrete section, the first discrete section, actually, this exact section in my bio biochem section. And I was like, oh no, this is where I, I usually breathe. What's going on? And I was like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. Just look down at the ground two feet in front of you, one question at a time. Just <laughs> like narrow the focus. And lie to narrow, yourself. Bring it in and lie to yourself. Yeah. And that's, I lie to myself at least six times during every marathon. I pretend every 5K that I'm waking up to do just a 5K. So every time I hit three miles, I go, oh, wow, what a great day to just start running. I haven't been running for long at all. And I, <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so dumb. But it, it does help you kind of trick yourself into feeling like a little bit refreshed. So if you do poorly on a discrete or it feels like you did poorly on a discrete, because remember, you don't know, you don't know. And you're going to answer every question on the MCAT because there's no point in leaving them blank. Maybe you flag to come back later because sometimes you learn something from a passage that actually answers a discrete, which has happened to me, where they like defined something in the last passage and it gave me an answer to the first (laughs) discrete. And I was like, yeah, they forgot. They gave me a freebie. Um, But if it happens, just like, Again, let it go. Take that three seconds and say, okay, this is the first passage of the section. Biobiochem just started. I'm jumping into this. I'm new. I'm fresh. I'm awake. And whatever happened in the past is in the past. I'm just going to move forward. And sometimes that means you don't think about anything but the question in front of you. Sometimes when you think too big, you think too far ahead, 
then it starts to feel unmanageable when something goes awry or something doesn't go according to plan. Mm -hmm. So scrap the plan one step at a time. And I think that flexibility is important for people to register in the MCAT that you're not going to feel the same way about every MCAT that you take, every full length that you take as you did about the last one. So even if typically the passages are harder and the discrete are your reprieve, it could flip. It could flip and that's okay. That just means that the test is doing what the test is doing best, which is punching you in the face. But <laughs> everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And then it's just about making it through whatever you need to get through for the next six questions, the next five questions. And you can kind of take some, I think you take some solace when you have a bad discrete section and saying, okay, well, at least I know the next section isn't going to be so content heavy. If you just got your kind of confidence rocked about your content knowledge, go into the next passage saying, okay, this one, I can use my reading comp skills. So whatever you just got your confidence shaken in, say, okay, well, I can use the other thing. The other part of my brain gets to kind of step up now. And it happens to everyone. I think my most confident reading comprehension friends have gotten completely like knocked flat by a passage and then felt great on discretes that they usually hate. And the opposite has happened to people like me who typically like discretes. But whatever happens, as long as you're able to say there are both parts of your brain, like you have content foundation and you have reading comprehension, you wouldn't have gotten this far if you didn't have it. Just utilize the one that's going to help you right now. And if that means you're just like kind of shallow breathing and going struggling up a hill that's okay as long as you get to the end just don't void don't leave you can do it cry during your break if you need to that's fine that's allowed no one ever said there's no crying during mcat um you you can do whatever you need to do when you have minute to to do it but i think just giving yourself that knowledge that you do have strengths even if they're not apparent in a given moment all right, so there you have it. Another great episode with my friends over at Blueprint MCAT. Go check them out, blueprintprep.com, formerly known as Next Step Test Prep. They have the best third-party full-length exams out there. Go check them out. Again, blueprintprep.com. This is MedEd Media.